the Southern Fried Witch, and uh, I've always told y'all that I don't have notes when I begin, and I don't usually, but I have a few today, and they're only in reference to, well, ratios and science and things that I might have to tell y'all, because today I wanted to talk about ash, mm-hmm. and the way my mind got stuck on it was that last night we had coven meat out here in the woods, and Somehow, I never know how it happens, we ended up talking about the differences in spell ash and ritual ash and how we use those in just different ways. Now, we're not necessarily like any other witch in the world, you know. What we do is what we do. But while discussing it, it just kept occurring to me over and over how very important it is for us to dispose of, if you will, let go of whatever our ash in ways that are well kind to the environment and responsible in nature. And I don't want to get into any coven secrets, so I'll be very careful here, but some of these premises are very common sense and pragmatic in nature. In our craft, for the very most part, Unless a very particular set of situations and circumstances come in, our spell ash is released. And our favorite way to do so, as crafters, is to do so in running water. Now, this automatically means, specifically for someone like me, who lives out in the country, and so many people are reliant upon their wells and their water tables, that I have to care about what is in that spell. Not just my intent, not just my magic, but what exactly have I burned? And of course, if it is a small amount of mugwort or rosemary (laughs) or a little dot of infused oil on the spell packet, whatever we may be doing here, I'm not that concerned. I'm not that concerned about something like that. However, I would never burn anything that had been treated, you know, um, stained or dyed or or painted, anything like that, and then use that ash for, well, anything, to be quite honest with you, because that could leave heavy metals in the water and any other kind of pollutant, so I just don't do it. So, in effect, that means that... (laughs) We're organic witches. And, you know, I'm already an organic person. I work very hard to make sure that whatever we do is organic, the way we live our lives, the way we clean our clothing. I buy very uh, specific kinds of laundry soap, that kind of thing. But when I go out there and cast, I don't throw all that to the wind. Am I making any sense here? Because that ash has to go somewhere that vapor goes somewhere, and so we are still organic. And I pride myself on being organic from seed to harvest. So my rosemary and my mugwort and 
even the more dangerous uh, knot shades I may be growing in a very particular patch somewhere. Everything I'm doing, I'm doing without pesticide, insecticide. I just leave off the side. <laughs> okay. So that goes into my spell work. And I'm very concerned about that. And I'm very concerned about that because I may not be dogmatic, but honey bunny, bat children, I am a purist and I cannot make it stop. It does drive some of my friends and family crazy. I just won't eat what I call hate eggs. I'm going to find somebody out there that's got free range chickens. <laughs> you know, I'll only break that rule if it's like, I don't know, an emergency. But, you know, when you got your own chickens, you never run into that. And then I'm always looking to work with my local cattle people and other farmers to help find ways that we don't engage ourselves in the, sorry, y'all, capitalistic BS of pesticides and insecticides. They're not necessary because nature has already provided so much and we just need to relearn those ways. And that makes me a purist. You could see how some folks wouldn't like that very much. But that's okay, honey. In this instance, a damn straight no, I'm right. So, when I get together anything to do a ritual or a spell or anything of a magical nature, including warding, all of it, I am not doing so with plastic or man-made chemical or... Anything that I wouldn't be okay with ingesting or using in my daily natural life. Can you see how exhausting that could get? I mean, y'all, when my students do magical work and they're learning through different levels, I will not even allow a big lighter near the fire. Mm -mm. I mean, they can either learn how to start a fire the old-fashioned way or you can bring a wooden match with sulfur ends, and I feel better about my craft. I'm very particular. There is no stone left unturned, honey. Not around here. And toward that end, I wanted to just talk about ash in general. I know we also all love our pretty candles, and I'm not telling you that I don't have one or two. Of course I do. I get weak. But those are not the ones I would use in my spellcrafting. The ones I would use in my spellcrafting are beeswax. Done. Not going any further. When I know that I can ingest my wax, if I have to, <laughs> then I feel better about the whole process. But rituals are different. They're magical, but they're different. And for rituals, and let me think, like for instance, our harvest rituals that we do around here, those I've always wanted to build upon. So when we have saved the ash from a harvest ritual, it goes into a very specific place to be utilized later on. One of the easiest ways we do this, honey, is just to add it to the next ritual. Closing the circle. Keeping that feeling going. Creating a bit of, well, a live thing. The other way we do that, especially for maybe the last harvest, which is Samhain for us and our climate and our zone, and that ash will be saved to be part of a ritual for the spring planting. Now, let's talk about that. 
Sometimes in our outdoor rituals, we don't have hardwood on staff. That's what we burn in our home and our wood burning stove. That's what we burn for certain initiation rites and such as this. But there are other things that we might burn outside if we were in a hurry or if we didn't want to cut down a tree, which we do not. We are looking for felled. And since I live out in the woods, this isn't that hard for us. And our needs are sort of small and contained. So our tiny footprint isn't hurting anybody much anyhow. So some of those ashes may not be hardwood that we would throw together for a ritual of some sort. Although hardwood does burn better. But my partner is very fond of lighter knot. And one cannot get lighter knot from anything other than an old pine. And if you know anything about lighter knot, you know it doesn't take much. You can practically create a match from a splinter. So this is still not a hardwood. Later on when we're planting things, we wouldn't want anything other than certain hardwoods going into our soil. And so for certain situations, we're very careful about the wood we're adding to that fire. And we're very careful about how we dispose of those ashes. But since I'm such a damn purist, let me tell you a couple of things about what you can do with some of the stuff we throw away. And also how you can ritualize and close the loop for your garden. If you don't have one, honey, it's still a good lesson. So try to hang in there. If not, I understand. One of the most important things that we have tried to succeed in here on our farm is a closed loop system. And we have not been able to fully do so as of yet, but we attempt to get tighter every year. So what is a closed loop system? Well, honey, I have no idea what Wikipedia is going to tell you, but a closed loop system to me means that Everything grown here goes back into the main purpose, which is the farm and livestock. You get the idea. Part of that loop we have going right now, I've told y'all a million times about rabbit scat and why it's the most amazing organic thing you can put on your tomatoes and okra and whatever else you want to grow and how it's not hot. I've already told you all about that. So that is the first rung of that that we are producing on our little farm. Very happy manure. Of course, what I mean by very happy is that they're spoiled rotten. However, we have not yet, because we have a tiny farm, been able to sustain their needs in the way of Timothy grass or alfalfa. And I do hope one of these days to get to that place because that is a a necessity for them. They absolutely have to have it. And if I were able to grow it and feed it to them and they were to be able to turn around and make all that yummy rabbit scat, then that's going to close the loop even further. Also, we save our chicken manure because they have hay on the bottom of their coops, their runs. All of that gets pulled out and gets placed somewhere to go cook in a nice tall pile. And I've honestly never seen anything as rich in nitrogen as that. Of course, you do have to wait. It has to stop being hot. But to truly close that gap, I would have to grow corn. 
Now, y'all, I've grown corn a thousand times, but it doesn't do well here on my little plot of land. And the reason it doesn't is it takes up so much room, y'all, so much. And it takes so many nutrients from the ground. And we only have this tiny little place. And it's um, wind pollinated. So putting it in the high tunnel is a big no-go. What I've done in the past is gone to a community garden and grow my corn there. And that is what I'm going to do this year. So if we can get there and I can still grow this, and it's maybe not on the farm, but it's from farming effort, then I can crack that corn and give it back to my chickens, which is further closing that loop. And I like this process because number one, it's thwarting capitalism up one side and down the other. And y'all know how I feel about that. And number two, I know what's going into my food. And with the chickens, that means I know what's going into them. And then they're producing eggs that I eat. We don't call our chickens here. There's a reason for that. I'm too soft hearted. And then, well, I mean, it just becomes this very organic, pure, beautiful thing that is self-sustaining. And that's magical, y'all. Saving seed is like this. There have been years in the past where I've spent $200 in seed. Ridiculous. Yes, I know. I don't do that anymore because I have saved what I need. And it does mean I've had to make choices, and those choices have to do with I can't have every pepper in the entire world all next to each other, or they're going to start to, and we're going to get some kind of crazy pepper out of that. But it does mean that I'm able to sustain my seed cost on my own. And I'm incredibly proud of that because we do have a, a high tunnel and uh, therefore can at least attempt to thwart any GMO drift. There's not a whole lot of um, farms out here. Not sure if we are doing a great job, but I know we're trying. The whole point in a closed loop system is that growing the things that I will need to use that turn around and become things that I need to grow that I'm going to use. And it just keeps going and it has this beautiful energetic connection with each other. That has everything to do, as far as I'm concerned, with my magic. I mean, if at all possible, for a land spell, for instance, which I don't need, I've got my land, but for one, I wouldn't be sourcing a bunch of things out of state. If I were using, not telling you if I do or not, antler shavings that we maybe found in the woods, or that land spell, and for a healing land spell, is going to be a whole lot more effective than something I bought online. I believe that these energetic pulses know each other, and it just makes a whole lot more sense to me. And so, my farming processes have begun to inform really more and more every year, the older I get, inform my witchcraft. If I would like to do something, if I would like to make, let's say, I would like to make fire cider. All right. So an hour off the road, I know somebody making apple cider with the mother. Mm-hmm. We all know. Got to make that with the mother, and you're going to get a whole lot more probiotic benefit to that. So that's where I'd source that. 
I don't have apple trees over here. I'm going to go up the road. But I'm still going up the road. What else goes in fire cider, y'all? Jalapenos, onions, garlic, horseradish, if you're really doing it right. What else? Turmeric is a wonderful addition to fire cider. Carrots. And there is no reason I can't grow that where I am. But if I couldn't grow it where I was, y'all, I would try to find a local farmer. (laughs) And if I couldn't do that, when I went into my grocery store, I would pick the organic ones for something as important as this. I know, I know, it's so difficult right now. The economy sucks right now, and everything is so damn expensive. But at least in our magic, we might could afford one organic carrot, one organic ginger root. You get the idea. That's the premise behind why I'm closing my loop. Because I can get my magic organically, I can be part of that process. I can melt into it, actually. And that's why I close the loop as much as possible. But we were talking about ash, and y'all are right. I'm a little bit off. Let's go back in. We have a wood-burning stove. And if y'all don't have a wood-burning stove, y'all might know somebody who has a wood-burning stove. And it's really important that you know what your source is. But anybody with a grain of salt will always use hardwood ash for their wood-burning stove. Otherwise, they're going to get that horrible gunk and their pops, and it could start a fire. So now, y'all, I save my hardwood ash. Well, it's not me necessarily. I usually am hollering at my partner to do it, but we save our hardwood ash, and one of the good reasons to do that is that you've got to clean that thing out, especially if it's really cold outside and you're going all the time. you got to clean it out. What you don't want to do is dump it just willy-nilly in your yard, You could mess up the pH of your yard so badly, as well as the pH of a woods if you just threw a pile of it out there. Don't want to do that. We have to be responsible. We save it for use in our garden. And in the past, a long time ago, need to be doing it again in our compost. However, I do not suggest you just go willy-nilly throwing it everywhere in your garden either. Hardwood ash, also known as, what is it, potash, potash, I'm really not sure how they want us to say that. This thing, this yummy thing, increases your soil pH. And that means if you have alkaline soil, you don't need to use it. Mm Mm-mm. No, mm mm-mm, don't touch it. However, if you've got acidic soil, this is your answer. Now, how would we find that out? Well, there's a lot of kits out there you can buy, little probes for the soil, but the best way to go is to go to your local extension office and get one of their little kits and submit that soil sample to them because they're going to tell you exactly what you have wrong. And if you tell them that you want to grow only organically and that you don't want to use ag lime, They will tell you how much wood ash to use. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not going to go into the exact measurements because it's best if you work with your extension office. However, I'm going to remind you to be very careful where you would get your wood ash from. 
For instance, if you source the wood from somewhere near an industrial plant, you could have heavy metals all up in that. You don't want to do that. It can't be treated with anything. You need to know exactly what the source of that wood ash is. But I will tell you that roughly four cups of wood ash equals one pound of aglime. And aglime is expensive. But regardless, you need to make sure that your soil pH is not over 6.5. Because if it is anywhere 6.5 and over, you don't need to be touching it anyhow. However, there are other cool things you can do with ash. And my very favorite way to use it is the oldest way I know. From my own experience anyway, and from my ancestors. And that is the nixtamalizing of corn. Y'all, years ago, I grew this beautiful white eagle Cherokee corn. And uh, it's called white eagle because it has a little like profile of a white eagle on the side of the kernel. Very pretty. Look it up. But primarily, it's blue in color. And so when I finished, this was the uh, flint corn. And by the way, the way I remember flint and dent, and this sounds silly, but I'm going to go ahead and let y'all know, is flint sounds like something hard, like flint, right? And that's your harder grain corn. And dent is the one that's soft to eat. (laughs) So I think about denting it with our teeth. Anyway, I grew this beautiful thing, and it was a bumper crop. I did the Three Sisters, I did the Seminole Pumpkins and Trail of Tears Black Beans, and they lost their minds. I had so much food, but at the end of it, I wasn't quite prepared. I didn't know what to do with it all. And you know, we can grind our corn all day long. We could even make cornmeal out of it that way, but we are not getting all the nutrients we need. To nixtamalize your corn, honey, which you can use wood ash for and not purchase the expensive and more chemical lime, that increases the bioavailability of vitamin B3, otherwise known as niacin. But it also helps to increase your calcium intake. It makes everything in this fantastic grain, y'all, available to your body. Then, after you go through this process, you can dry it out for future use. You can grind it. I made tortillas out of it. I made blue cornbread. And I will tell y'all something right now. I have never fully understood what the flavor of corn should be until I grew it. And nixtamalized it. (laughs) And then, oh my God, it just opened up. It's like this um, earthy, buttery, toasty, I can't even, I can't even describe it to you. You've never had anything like it in your whole life unless you've been growing corn and doing this ancient process from Mesoamerica. And y'all, I am probably mispronouncing everything. I am Southern, but the root word is, well, I'll spell it for you so I don't mess it up. N-E-X-T-L-I. And it literally means ashes in the ancient Aztec language. And uh, tamale means dough made from corn. So 
nixtamalization, which is very hard for me to say, <laughs> say it really, really fast, removes the outer hull of the corn and really just explodes everything about it. Anyway, the process is deep and beautiful, and I have, I believe, a recipe up on my website about this from years ago. Y'all can go check out. But you basically have equal parts, I believe, corn and ash. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So for like two cups of corn, you'd use two cups of wood ash and you would cover it all in water, bring it to a bowl, go about 15 minutes. And after that, you let it sit to cool off and then you're going to drain and drain and drain and rinse and rinse. And all of those little holes are going to slip off. It did take a long time. I used that time to do a little bit of spell work and bring in so much healing energy for my family when they ate the corn. But if you want to know more about that, I'll throw up a couple of links on that and I will record my process next time I do it. But that's one thing you can do with your wood ash, honey, and your family is going to lose their minds. Mm hmm. If the world went to hell in a handbasket down here in the deep south, and if the only grain we had was corn, folks would be looking for wood ash by the bucket full. And there's other stuff you can do with it, some down-home remedies, and it's great to get all kinds of stains out of concrete, and it just makes water more alkaline, so think of all the possibilities. Anyway, wood ash. One more thing, and then I'll stop. I realize it's just a teachy day. Sorry about that, y'all. It's about time we did one, though. Straw bale gardening. Or for me, that would be hay bale gardening. Because I cannot find an organic straw baler around here. Y'all, I'm not about to grow my food and anything that's been treated like that. And yes, hay bales have more seeds. But if you'll get your straw bales, honey over the winter, or even the fall before, and then set them somewhere where they don't get too rained on too much, and let them sit for a good three to four months before you intend on using them. Well, a lot of those seeds will go ahead and pop and die. One of the things I do is just come out with a knife and top them all off. As long as they're not allowed to go to seed, they can't make any more, so you're good to go. And of course, the reason that most hay is not treated is because it is primarily grown for horses to eat. There we go. So back to this kind of gardening method. If you have very limited space, if you might have to move your garden around in the day to chase the sun (laughs) because you don't have enough. If, if, if. Imagine a portable, if you do it the way I'm going to tell you, garden. Now then, we put ours on a canvas tarp, so it could be pulled out of the way to do any kind of work. Now, that is unless you're growing things that are viney, but then you're going to have to just leave it there. But lettuces and things, even peppers, things like that, it's really available to you to kind of pull it around the yard. It works out, but I've seen a lot of stuff about this. When I first started doing it, it was 10 years ago, and wasn't that popular, and now everybody's doing it. And some of the stuff I've seen doesn't actually use hardwood ash, but I do. I do, and it's mostly because of all the potassium I'm going to get 
And also the calcium I'm going to get if I'm going to grow tomatoes in it. So for that, I'm going to use about um, one and a half cups of ash in your hay bale. You're going to water that all in. Don't worry, honey. And then some people use bone meal to go with this. And I don't know. I feel like we're overdoing with it potassium when we go that route. I've also used, because um, you need a nitrogen, but I've seen blood meal used here for this to get that nitrogen push. We don't. We use urine. We use PP. And that's exactly what I said. Mm-hmm. And if y'all remind me, I'll put up the recipe for all of this at some point. But it's kind of fun. <laughs> it's kind of fun. If you have people in your life who don't mind peeing on a hay bale, well, then you're good to go. And otherwise, you put a little mason jar by your toiletry and uh, pour it out once a day in certain amounts. Anyway, bale gardening is fantastic. And one of the best things you can do with your wood ash is employ it here. It brings calcium. It brings potassium. It helps speed up the whole process. It makes the carbon material of your hay or your straw well it conditions it helps to break it down and that's critical y'all remind me to put something out about this when we get closer to spring i'll try to break it down in even steps for you but that's another place that your ash can go anyway i'm sorry y'all i got on a roll about it but to me closing the loop as much as you can keeping our waste as low as we possibly can, and our footprint as small as we possibly can. Those are all the duties of witches everywhere. We have almost gotten to the place over here where I don't have to buy fertilizer at all, of any kind. Almost there. Almost. From the ash to my chicken eggs that I dry in the dehydrator and then grind to a powder, which is calcium, by the way to weed tea all of these things are just coming back around y'all and feeding the ground they're coming out of and that is magical don't y'all get me started on bone meal (laughs) i'll save that for another time but we uh we only buy red meat if we can get it from our cattle friend down the road because of the way she raises her cattle and treats the cattle and She always has bones left over. I'll get to that another day, y'all. But to round it back up, I think ash is one of the most magical things in a witch's life, in a farmer's life, in a practitioner's life that we don't talk about enough. Uh, Last night when we were sitting around talking about just the pragmatic and scientific uses of it, one of my little students said, well, I like to use it to make sigils. And while we're at that, Personally, I like to use it to draw wards. So how are you using your ashes? What are you putting into them? Because whatever we are putting in to burn is what our final product's going to be. It's going to hold all those properties, no matter how that lands. And we have to care about that, don't we? We have to care about that. And that should inform our practice. It should inform our use of these ashes in our magic. But we also should be very careful where we lay them. Everything is everything in the craft. There's no place for mindlessness. 
I'm even studying on how I want my own ashes dispersed one day. But that's a podcast for another time. As we walk into fall and we have our rituals and we cast our spells and we have our ancestor fires and honorings, let's think very carefully. I know we will be on how we're going to care for the ashes afterward. On my mind in the last few months has been the issue of what we do after. What we do after we do a spell, what we do to clean up our energy and call it back home, what we do after we have to throw up heavy wards, how do we lay them back down, and in what manner. And so I suppose it was a natural progression for me to land on ashes. Because here we are, y'all. Campfire season. What will you be doing with yours? Don't forget, if you want extra content, go over to Patreon backslash Southern Fried Witch. And that's where I share some of my writings and pictures from the porch and occasionally an extra recording or two. And we've just sort of become a family. There's lots of levels to join, and every dime does go to support this podcast. All right, I'm out of here. Love y'all like chicken. Blessed be. Y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the deep south.